Our scripture today is Colossians 1, 1 through 23. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Coloss. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the words of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel has, uh, is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing, uh, doing among, among since you, uh, the, day, the day that you heard it and understood God's grace and, and uh, in all his truth. You learned it from the uh, Ephesus. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the, in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying that you and asking, praying for you and asking God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all the spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who, is, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over, cre all, over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is one of and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have, and so that everything, so that <laughs> that everything he might have the supremacy, for God has, was, was pleased to have all his uh, fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God. And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusations. And if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hopes held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that you have been proclaimed, that you have, has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, 
and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. May God bless the reading of these scriptures. All right, well, we're in this series, What Matters Most, and talking about uh, values, the values of a church. We're talking about uh, the things that matter most. And, and the reason that we're talking about it is because we believe that what a, what a person, what a family, what an organization values the most uh, produces actions in line with those values. Uh, so, you know, if we, if we value what matters most, then we will also do what matters most. If we value what matters most, We'll do what matters most. And um, in contrast with that, you know, if we, if we value things that don't matter the most, then we'll end up doing things that don't matter most. And this may seem really elementary, this may seem really simple, and yet this is something that we all struggle with. We have a tendency, all of us, um, whether in our home life or in an organizational kind of life, whether that's a business or a church like we are, a part of here, uh, we have a tendency to gravitate especially towards kind of inwardly focused values. And for the church, uh, that's, a, that's a problem because we have an outwardly focused God who so loved the world that he gave his son. And so we have to kind of remind ourselves of the things that, you know, some of the things that God values the most and some of the things that he says that are important for his church and, and make sure that we are you know, following up on those. Now we're looking at eight values. They're not the only eight things that matter, but they are eight things that matter. And if we tried to look at every, you know, a hundred things that matter, then we wouldn't have accomplished much. But if we can focus on a few things as a church, and, and these are not set in stone, they may shift over time or whatever, but if we can kind of just lock on to some of these and really get good at some of these, and some of these we're already pretty good at. And some of these we've got some room to grow. But if we can really lock in on these, it's going to produce even better actions, better decisions, better ministries uh, than what we've had thus far. Is what I believe. And so that's why we're kind of in this series on what matters most. And so far, we've looked at four values. Value one was Jesus matters here. We make everything about Jesus, not about us. Number two was... Prayer matters here, and we pray as though the whole hope of humanity is on the line. Number three, people matter here. And so we're ready to love anybody because the gospel is for everybody. And, and number four was specifically kids matter here, and, and we will bet the farm on the next generation. And now we've come to the next ones, five and six, scripture and missions. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about and dive into uh, today, now, you know, with as I was thinking about these two and kind of what they have in common, I was thinking about just the the bigger picture that God is painting, and somehow, uh, you know, we we get to paint a part of that, and and you and that's just something that I think is going to become clear as we talk about Scripture today and about missions today, and I was thinking about uh, you know coloring and painting, and I was reminded of a time in my life where, where I had to do some serious uh, coloring. And, and that was in third grade. Now, I told you that, uh, that I've told you before that I'm kind of a, a goody two-shoes by nature in a lot of ways. Not much of a rebel, not a very good one anyway. And, uh, but I've had a few moments, and one of those moments came in third grade. 
it was quite a rebellious moment. And what basically what happened was I had a teacher who, probably for the sake of her sanity, decided that every day when we got back from recess, we would all take a color-by-number worksheet. Are you familiar with these? They've got numbers all over them. Each number is, is attached to a color, and you have to color all the ones blue and all the twos green or whatever, you know. And by the time you're done with it, it makes a lovely picture. Every day. All right, now, now those sheets are fun for the first ten times, right? But after 50 times, <laughs> you're kind of sick of them. At least I was. So one day I sat down and I looked at that thing. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And so I colored that thing. I colored by Neil, all right, <laughs> instead of by number. And, and I, you know, I thought it was beautiful. I turned that thing in. The next day, we, uh, we got them back graded. And, and my teacher had used every possible square inch of that thing to draw a big red F it's the biggest F you've ever seen on a third grade paper. <laughs> it, it was spectacular. And, uh, and that was the end of my rebellious streak with the color by number. I, I got back in line after that. But can't tolerate Fs. But anyhow, that, uh, you know, sometimes in life, you know, it feels like God kind of, God has a big masterpiece going. And we each have a part to paint and we can look back through history and see the parts that others who've gone before us have painted. And, and there's a part that we need to paint as well. And it seems like a lot of times individually or in, and even in churches, you, you know, in our own lives, there's times where we feel kind of like, well, maybe I just want to paint by Neil, you know, <laughs> instead of by number. Or, uh, you know, maybe we just want to kind of paint by Cypress Street and do the things that, that we want to do and that, that matter to us. Um, that we like and, and how we think it ought to look and what we prioritize and, and we miss out then on being a part of, of the larger thing that God is up to. So what is God up to and, and what's, our, what's our number to paint, I guess, are things that we could consider today. And we're going to begin to do so first by looking at number five, Scripture Matters Here. And we read today from a a passage in Colossians. And this was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the town of Colossae, which is now just rubble, uh, less than rubble, really. It's, it's kind of buried under a hill in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. But uh, in that day, it was a thriving community, had a, uh, a church located there. And Paul wrote to them, and he wrote to them partly out of concern. This wasn't a church that Paul had founded, but colleagues of his had taken the gospel there and had also given him word about what was going on there. And while there was a lot good going on there, there was also some problems with some of the teaching that was going on there. Uh, some of it rings a bell. We kind of see it throughout the New Testament, like uh, some Jews saying, well, you have to you have to jump through all the Jewish hoops before we'll let you be a Christian. And so Paul had to address that. But there was also some peculiar things in the church in Colossae. And some, teaching, some of the teachers were saying that they had received uh, special revelation from some angelic beings. And were even suggesting that those angelic beings deserved to be worshipped. As we would worship God. And so Paul, needless to say, is concerned by this. And writes to them. 
And we see some of what he shared. He wrote about the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all truth. And maybe at this point it would serve us well just to back up for a second and say, if we're talking about scripture matters here, what do we mean by scripture? And, and that may seem like something we take for granted, but the word scripture just means writing. And, but the scripture, when we talk about scripture, you know, when we capitalize that S, we're, we're talking about a specific kind of writings that we might call them holy writings. Writings that, that we believe are the revelation of God, a message from God to, to humanity. And for Paul and for Jesus... And, and for people of that era, Scripture to them was more or less what makes up our Old Testament. That's what they were referring to. Uh, because if you think about it, the New Testament was either not written or being written <laughs> at that time. And Scripture is writings, right? And so they had these, what we call Old Testament. They didn't call it Old Testament, but that was their Scripture. And, and they valued that. And that's what they refer... When you see the word scripture in your New Testament, nine times out of ten, it's referring to what we refer to as our Old Testament. But pretty soon, the letters of the apostles started getting grouped in as scripture. And we even have a letter from uh, that's attributed to Peter, the apostle Peter, talking about some letters and writings of Paul as scripture. And so we know at an early stage, they were viewing the New Testament scriptures that, that we have as well as, as scripture. But there's a part of scripture that for Christians is central to it all. And they never call it scripture. Partly because at first it wasn't written down. It wasn't writings. It was news. So they didn't call it scripture, writings. They called it gospel, news. And yet it stands for the Christian at the heart of all Scripture. And, and for us, it's why we even care about the rest of it at all, is the Gospel. Now sometimes, Scripture is also referred to as the Word of God, right? And we see that in, in, in Scripture. We see God talk about the Word. And sometimes that's used as the Word of Truth, or the Word of the Kingdom, or... Uh, even just the word Jesus is even referred to as the word at times. And here in this passage, we have them talking about the word of truth, which is the gospel. And it talks about how all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. This is really interesting to me. I don't know if it'll be interesting to any of you, but talks about this word in, in tones of creation. You know, just, just as God spoke creation into being and things began growing and blooming, this word of truth, this gospel, is being, as it's shared, as it's spoken, is causing things to be created, to bloom, to grow. And, and this creation is inside people, right? When, when you receive the gospel... It began to grow something new in you. 
it begin to bear fruit and grow. And what's interesting, a whole other level of interesting in this, is, you know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is referred to as the Word. And it even talks about how the Word was with God in the beginning and how through the Word, through Jesus, creation took place initially. And now creation is taking place through that Word again in a new way. And so this is so neat. And we actually see that theme, this theme of creation, carried on in this letter talking about Jesus just a few verses later. Look what Paul writes about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He goes on. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything... He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now first off, can we just say wow. (laughs) And worship Jesus with Paul for a moment. What an incredible description of our Lord. And doubtless this was partly shaped by Paul to put an end to all this let's worship angelic beings business, right? It is clear when you read this who is supreme and who is overall and who is worthy of worship and whom God has raised up. And that's Jesus. But did you notice how it talked about Jesus as the one through whom creation takes place and now it's this word of truth, this gospel, the, the proclamation of what Jesus did and is doing that is springing forth new creation and people. And that's why we say, when it comes to Scripture, and our our valuing Scripture here at Cypress Street, that we want to more than read God's Word because it's more than words. We want to more than read God's Word because it is more than words. You know, we all understand that words have power. You know, the power of the pen. That's something that everybody understands. That, you know, I mean, revolutions have been launched by writings, powerful writings. People have been inspired to go and, and do great things because of things they have read. But what we're talking about here is, is a whole other level. These are more than just mere words. When Scripture talks about the power of God's Word. It's not just talking about, well, these are so well-crafted that they'll inspire you to do great things. <laughs> no. Who have you ever heard talk about words this way? That the Word of Truth goes out and then it causes new creation, new things to be, new life to take place. Life transformation on, on this scale. You know, it's, we know that there's power in God's Word. There's power in Scripture. We believe that. And wherever the gospel is proclaimed, somehow through God's Holy Spirit, there's power in that. You know, the Apostle Paul elsewhere said that he's not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power for salvation. These are some powerful words. 
and they're useful words. He once wrote to a guy he was mentoring, encouraging him to use Scripture. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture... You know why, and I'm just going to briefly touch on this, and, and Kenny's going to kind of probably take this a little further next week, but when he speaks on Youth Sunday next week. But just to touch on why should we value all Scripture? And, and for me, as a Christian, I feel like it all, I mean, my faith and, and everything begins with, you know, did Jesus rise from the dead? And we covered that on Easter, and you can still go back and listen to that, but. I mean, to me, the, the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, there's, it's hard to explain away all the factual events that took place in the aftermath of that without a resurrection. And if you believe that the resurrection took place, and that Jesus, who no one doubts actually lived and died, it's just people have trouble wrapping their minds around that whole resurrection thing, because I've never seen anyone else do it, which is kind of the point, right? <laughs> but... If that really happened, and he really is who he said he was, then of course we value the Gospels, right? Because they tell us about Jesus, and we want to know everything we can know about him. And of course, then, we value the writings of the apostles, and the writings of the early church, because they're our earliest first glimpses of what it meant to be a Christian, and how we follow Christ. And so, yeah, the New Testament, that's easy. We all get that right. Let's, let's value the New Testament. Some people have more trouble with, well, what do you do with the Old Testament? You know, and there's some weird stuff in there. <laughs> if you've ever sat down and read it, it'll make you scratch your head sometimes. God said what? <laughs> God's people did what? What's going on? So, do, I mean, do we really need that even? Shouldn't we just kind of focus on the New Testament? Why should we care about the Old Testament? Well, truth be told, a lot of us, we care about it just because it's in the Bible, right? And, and a lot of times we, we fail to, to remember that the Bible is not a book, it's a collection of ancient manuscripts that span thousands of years by lots of different authors. But they all talk about the same God and the same stuff, and they all tell in the same narrative, they're all painting the same picture, as it were. And those Old Testament scriptures, the reason that I care about them, see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give a flip about them, honestly, except that I care about Jesus, and, and Jesus cared about them. And all of Jesus' apostles cared about them, and they cared about them a lot. If you read the Gospels, you find Jesus talking about the creation account and teaching from that. When you read the Gospels, you, you find him talking about the law of Moses and expounding on that. When you read about Jesus, you find him even talking about stories like Jonah. Right? He brings those up. One day, Jesus was in the synagogue. And it says that was his custom, by the way, to, to be in the synagogue every week. If Jesus thought it was important to gather with God's people every week... Shouldn't we? And he was there every week, and oftentimes they would ask him to share something because, you know, you know, it's not every day you have a celebrity teacher in your midst, right? 
And, and one of the, such occasions, he got up in the synagogue and he pulled out Isaiah, a prophet. One of the major prophets of Israel. And he read a prophecy and he said, today this has been fulfilled in your midst. So Jesus valued the prophets too. And when he was on the cross, he cited Psalm 22. Referenced it from the cross. It was in his heart. He knew him. So time and again, these are just a few examples of how Jesus valued his scriptures, the scriptures of his day, which was just pretty much our Old Testament. Not only that, his apostles did the same. Constantly referring back to it. Referring back to it. Not just little pieces, bits and pieces of it, but wholesale sections of it. And so, the reason that I value it is not because I'm a Jew, because I'm not. But because I'm a Christian and my king values it and says it's worthwhile. And so I value all of scripture. And I treat it as more than words because... He says it's more than words. It's power to change my life, to change your life, to change people's lives. When you're not sure what to do or how to, you know, you see someone's life or maybe it's your life and you're not sure how to get through to them, don't underestimate the value of just sharing scripture, just sharing the gospel, just sharing pieces of it with them because there's power in scripture and so we more than read God's scripture and that's why around here at our church we you know often pause in the middle of our service to read scripture most every week and a lot of times it's large chunks of scripture right and much to the uh, much to the chagrin of our chair people who have to stand up here and, and navigate us through all of it but we value scripture. We say it's important. So we do that. We also you know, value scripture with our kids as well. Right now they're working on memorizing scripture. As we meet in here, they're memorizing a verse. We're hoping to start showing those videos soon. We're kind of working out some technical, technological stuff on that. But we're going to start showing you some of the scriptures that they've been memorizing soon. They're doing that. Not only that, but we send parents of kids that are back there and our, our Sunrise kids uh, each, more, you know, each week that we send them a Bible plan for that month that goes along with what they're learning so that they can engage in Scripture at home because we think Scripture is important. We also encourage you, if you've got a, a phone or a computer, to get either the Bible app on your mobile device or to get Bible.com bookmarked on your computer so that you can easily access God's Word. You can find things, look things up, study things. It's important. This is why we should study, meditate, and pray over God's Word. This is also why we, as a, as a church body, we partner with the Gideons a lot, right? And we, we often send Bibles instead of flowers sometimes even. Uh, or just to say, we're thinking of you. Uh, Distributing God's word, this is something we feel is important. And this is also why we support missions. To take God's message to the world, to the nations. And that takes us to our next value, that missions matters here. 
missions matters here. You know, we read that section in Colossians earlier about how all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit as it did among you. Paul's writing this. And then check out what he says, though, next. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. If Epaphras hadn't ever taken the gospel, hadn't taken scripture to that community that most of them have probably never heard of any of God's scripture, if he hadn't gone first, we'd have no book of Colossians, no letter from Paul to them. They wouldn't have existed. And so, we have to be in the business, as the church has been from the beginning, of not just holding the gospel in, but of getting it out. Getting the word out. And what happens when we do that? Look what happened to the church in Colossae when Epaphras showed up and shared the gospel with them. Paul says they were alienated from God. They were even enemies of God before because they were living their own way, evil behavior, you know, instead of living God's way. It says, but now he has what? Now he has, say it out loud, now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation if you continue in your faith. It was founded in the gospel. This word reconcile is something Paul used a lot to describe what happens. You know, there's a divide between us and God. And it's by the gospel that we are reconciled to God. And in his letter to the Corinthians, is one of the letters that we have from him to them, he actually calls it ministry of reconciliation. That we've been given as the church has been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling the world to Christ. That's what God's up to. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore, be reconciled to God. And this was the message that was entrusted to Paul and the other apostles. This was the message that they then in turn passed on to the next generation of believers. And to the next generation of believers. And so on and so forth until it's come now to us. And so we value missions here. And we are active partners in carrying the light into the darkest places. I say active partners because if we think we can just send our money and thereby absolve ourselves of any further responsibility to the gospel, I think we're kidding ourselves. That's a great part, but that's not the whole. Actively partnering and sharing the gospel means at least praying. In fact, probably first and foremost, praying. When, when it talks about, when scripture the New Testament scripture, the apostles talk about the, this ministry of reconciliation, this mission that the church is on. The thing that gets talked about the most is pray for it, pray for it, pray for it. Pray for those that are on the front lines. Pray for those that are going. Pray that the gospel will be fruitful wherever it goes. And so prayer has to be at the forefront of it. And yes, giving as well. How's your faith promise giving going so far this year? Through our kindness even. Just our kindness to people. Through lovingly serving 
other people. We are actively partnering with the gospel. Through our good behavior, just being good people in the name of Jesus, living God's ways, is a way to put the gospel on display. And yes, even with our lips, are we praying for opportunities to share even just a piece of the gospel with someone? Just some small encouragement from His Word. Are we praying for opportunities to do that? Or are we scared of it? Would we be scared that if we prayed that prayer, we might actually get such an opportunity, and then what would we do? Oh my. (laughs) If we're worried about that, if we're worried about that, then I feel like probably chances are we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten that we are children fully adopted with full rights, children of God. That we are co-heirs with Christ the King, right? That we've been called to this ministry of reconciliation. You want a title? Minister of Reconciliation. Ambassador for the Kingdom. (laughs) You've got all the titles, you've got all the authority, you've got everything you need to go and take the gospel to the people that need it. We're not all called to do that the same way, you know. But we all are called to not be ashamed of the gospel. The church's mission is the same now as it has been since the beginning. That all authority, because all authority had been given to Christ, Jesus told us, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the end of the age. So we want to actively partner to take the light to the darkest places. There's still some dark places out there, aren't there? Some of them are, are closer than we realize. And some of them are ones that we're still ignorant of, by and large. Do you know that there's still entire people groups speaking entire languages in which the gospel's never been shared? There's still as many languages as it's been translated into. There's still languages that it hasn't been translated into. There's still places where people are living in entire communities where the gospel's never gone. I heard someone say once that they didn't think anyone had the right to hear the gospel twice until everyone's heard it once. (laughs) That's food for thought. And so we have to prioritize taking the light to the darkest places. Jesus said his return would not happen until the gospel was preached to all the nations. So are we prioritizing that? You know, we, we have a rich faith promise ministry here where we partner with a lot of different people in a lot of different places to do some really cool things for the kingdom. And that is, you know, I think one of our favorite things that we do around here is, is hearing reports of things that our, our money and our prayers are doing as we send them out and we actively partner with people all over the world and in our own neck of the woods. As we 
move forward with our faith promise over in the coming years, I hope that one of the things we'll prioritize is taking the light to the darkest places. You know, that we'll consider where we're sending the gospel and try to send it to the people that need it the most. And I hope that we'll still be willing to partner with anybody and everybody. You know, one of the things that, that we value that's not on this list, but it's kind of woven throughout, is unity. And the Church of God has, has valued unity from its beginning. We believe that every believer is a member of God's family, is a brother or sister in Christ. And so we need to see more and more unity. And this is a spot where if, if we're going to see unity anywhere, it ought to be here in pursuing the mission of God to take the gospel everywhere. Because no matter who we are, no matter how we worship, no matter even our, our theological differences, our mission to go and make disciples cuts across all of that. Our mission of the gospel cuts across all of that. Because all of our brothers and sisters in Christ prioritize and value the gospel and Jesus over everything. And so let's partner with one another to make it happen. And I think it's so cool when we partner with Project 41 and we partner with Mercy Multiplied and we partner with Grace Place or CCM. And these are believers from different backgrounds. But we stand side by side with them and we serve and we give and we promote the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's something we can continue to do. And let's be a testament to what God can do through his church when we team up together. And tie these two together. We see that we have a part to paint in the bigger picture of what God is up to. Scripture gives us the beginning of that painting, you know. I, I was thinking of that wall over there on Trenton, you know, and it's got the different sections and the kids, you know, artwork on it now and, and different sections kind of have different themes. And, and I was thinking, you know, if God was painting a wall, it might begin with creation and the fall of, of humanity. And then he'd come to another section where he raised up a people to be a light to the nations. And, uh, but boy, they messed up too. And, and then it might get to a section where, where the Messiah that those people had waited for came. But not only to them, but to the whole world to be a light into our darkness. And then we might see the church born and the apostles carrying it the first time that message ever went out and was proclaimed to the world and the difference that it made in people's lives. And then it just keeps on going and it comes to us and we have a blank wall in front of us. But it's not like we don't know what to paint. Because we're just continuing the story that God's been painting all along. The God who wants all people to be reconciled to himself. And so we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And let us paint our part. And let us paint it in bold colors. What can you do this week to take advantage of the power of Scripture? We've been entrusted with the most powerful message. 
And sometimes that message has gotten a few, more than a few ambassadors killed, hasn't it? Sometimes the world doesn't like that message. Doesn't make it any less powerful. And from the beginning, we've been laying our lives on the line for humanity, sharing this message of reconciliation because Jesus laid his life on the line for us and calls us to do the same. For God so loved the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. Power of the message you've entrusted to us. Thank you for your mission that's been faithfully handed down from generation to generation of believers. And Lord, help us to do our part. Help us to more than read your word. Help us to take it to the world that needs it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.